You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right. What's up, guys? Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. And today's show is brought to you by PristineAuction.com. Pristine's the most trusted sports memorabilia auction site with an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating. Um, every item on pristineauction.com comes with a certificate of authenticity from the industry's most reputable authenticators. And uh, really cool. We just finished up a, uh, a contest where um, people had an opportunity to enter and to win a mini Vince Lombardi trophy that was autographed by Jordy Nelson himself. So really appreciate pristineauction.com for sponsoring the show. We've got a special guest on the show today, uh, Mr. Ryan Schlipp. Ryan, outside of uh, solving all the world's problems, what have you been into, man? A lot, a lot of football. That's about it. I've been watching uh, just right when you messaged me, I was watching the uh, the secondary for the Packers, which doesn't take very long because I think there were, what, 11 passes in that game. So <laughs> I just still wanted to get a chance because I know they've been playing some good football. I wanted to be able to see them do their thing. So, yeah, just been a lot, a lot of football. Awesome. Well, we didn't talk about this offline, so it's a little bonus content. What what stood out to you watching the secondary, man? Um, anything kind of flash at you, maybe positive well, or negative? The the funny thing is, um, there's there's three components to what failed for the Bears passing, and it either came down to coverage, pass rush, or just Justin Fields being a failure. And um, it it's just cool to be able to see. I mean, obviously, the quarterback failure thing is is that kind of sucks because you're going to go against guys like Tom Brady that aren't going to have those mistakes. But, you know, every time I look at it, I'm like, why didn't he throw to so-and-so? It looks like he's open there. The pass rush got him, you know? So that complimentary defense where, you know, there's just not enough time even for these guys to be able to complete their routes and everything because the pass rush is so good. And then the few times the pass rush isn't quite there, there's nowhere to go with the ball because, you know, you look at Jair and his movement and Stokes, I thought looked fantastic. His, his flying around and, you know, Stokes and Razul with their physicality was so much fun to watch. And even even Savage, as much as I was kind of picking on him, you know, that play to Razul where he hit the guy in the backfield, Savage is the one screaming and pointing over in that direction. 
And as soon as that ball gets snapped, Razul just takes off like a rocket and blows him up. So you're starting to see that whole thing kind of come together where the coverage and the pass rush are working together. The communication is looking there. The tackling obviously wasn't up to par, but man, it's uh, it's starting to come together. I agree. It seems like, you know, week one, it was a mess. And week two yeah. against the Bears, granted, it was the Bears. Things really started to kind of come together. And the glaring, I don't know, the glaring negative for me is the secondary right now. When I say secondary, primarily the safeties, in my opinion. Yeah. I feel like the corners are really starting to button up. And it, to me, it also looks like when I went back and watched the film, I watched the, the Bears game, I watched two snaps all the way through. Um, Rasul Douglas, it seems like he's just really keying in on the pass for the most part. It's it's mm-hmm. it's almost as if, you know, and and former players kind of talk down to PFF for this very specific reason at times because they say you don't know what was talked about in the defensive meeting. It may have been, listen, I want your primary focus to be on the pass. I, I want your right. primary focus in this specific defense to key in on this situation and forget everything else. You know, uh, Bill Belichick 101, having studied him for several years, is, you know, let's they, they hear do your job, right? That's their big motto. And when people hear that, they think, oh, he's a dictator. He's just like, you better do your job or you're going to be gone. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if you break the game down into a minute level and say, okay, what's the two, maybe three things that we need to focus on the most from a uh, specific positional standpoint and just focus on those, just make sure you do those good, we're going to be good in the end. And after watching the tape with Rasul, I kind of felt like that. I felt like it was, hey, look, he was really more keying in on the pass and the dink and dunk that he was, all right, I really need to play the run. And um, I think that stuff's just going to come together, you know, the further we get into the season. And, uh, yeah, uh, another thing, too, listening to Pat Kerwin and Tim Ryan for so many years on Sirius NFL Radio, obviously Tim Ryan having played offensive line. I believe he played – it was either offensive or defensive line for the 49ers for so long. He's now the uh, color commentary for the 49ers, I believe, on their radio network, maybe TV, TV probably. But uh, And Pat Kerwin was a former executive. They always said, you know, exactly what you just touched on with the, with the pass rush, you know, pressure pick, coverage, sack. They both go together. Typically when you see an interception, it's because there was pressure on the quarterback. And typically when you get a sack, it's because there was great coverage on the backside um, most of the time, unless you just got Kenny Clark – absolutely demolishing people up front, which is really nice to see. And yeah. and I got to say this, Ryan, we kind of called that in the offseason, man. Um, we've seen him come in lean, right? And it's like, hold up, what are they up to here? Because he doesn't look like he's built like a nose anymore, right? And um, he definitely leaned up, and I think you're seeing that. I think they really wanted to key in on – Hey Kenny, let's let's get after the quarterback this year, and let's let's allow you know T.J. Slayton, uh, let's sign J- uh, Jaron Reed, and then obviously drafting Devontae White. Let's let the big boys try to help take care of the run in the middle, and let's uh, let's free Kenny up a little bit. But uh, what stood out yeah. to you about Kenny Clark so far? Well, yeah, I was just gonna say. I mean, just on that point. I mean, again, PFF isn't perfect, but lowest run defense grade he's ever had, highest pass rush grade he's ever had. It's only two weeks. But I mean, he is he is scary, man. And and even the the run defense, I haven't totally keen, keyed in on him. I tried to do a whole video on our our defensive line, but it's so hard to know what exactly everybody's assignment was. So I kind of was just doing too much guessing, and I'm like, I, I don't want to do a video on this. But um, I want to key in a little bit more because I I have I have very rarely seen him do anything wrong when I have keyed in on him. I know he gets a ton of double teams, and if he's getting dinged for that, I think that's stupid. Um, and granted, most of his, his negatives were against Minnesota as far as run defense. So the, the Bears game wasn't as bad. But um, I, I, every time I've looked at him, he's an absolute force. 
Um, you know, just because I'm looking generally in terms of what blew up a play. So a lot of times I'm not even looking at half the half the defense. But if they're trying, if the Bears are trying to run the ball, why can't they? And you'll see some plays where they're trying to get to the outside, and you know they they can't cut it back in because Kenny Clark has dragged his guy all the way down the line. And there's nowhere to go because he's just got his guy on skates going all the way down. You know, there's that video of him, you know, humping Sam Mustafer, you know, down the field like he's Reggie White, you know. Yep. Um, so, I, you know, he's he's just playing at another level right now. And this is this is the version of Kenny that we've kind of been waiting for since 2018, 2019, when he was just one of the most elite pass rushing defensive tackles in football. And I don't know what they're doing that's that's different, but I like it. And and if his job is to just be a, a force in the middle as a pass rusher and let the rest of the guys, especially those linebackers, clean up, I'm all for it because we need it. That pass rush has been lethal. Absolutely. And it's something that Greg Cosell talks about quite often is what he's noticing across the landscape of the National Football League from a defensive standpoint is teams and coordinators are willing to um, give up the run. It's It's yeah. more geared around just stopping the pass, and it's – they don't think that teams will stay with the run enough to be overly successful. And you've seen it with the Chiefs last year. I mean, there were teams playing that two-man uh, two man high look, and they were begging the Chiefs to run the ball. And for whatever, read, uh, whatever reason, Andy Reid continued to just stay away from the run. He would lean on it a little bit, and then he'd go right back to the pass, okay. and it really you know, bit him in the butt there uh, at the end of the season in the playoffs. But, um, yeah, as far as Kenny, though, man, looking at the PFF grades, like you said, you know, overall, he's the second highest defensive grade uh, on the entire football team. And, and only behind Keyshawn Nixon, who literally like just had snap. Half, snap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Kenny Clark coming in at a 77.3. His run, def run defense, like you said, 47.3. But, man, that pass rush, 91.9. Those are Aaron Donald-type grades right there. Oh, yes. Absolutely. What's so cool is it feels like Kenny Clark has been there for 10 years and he's only 26 years old. I mean, he's about to turn 27, I believe. But, I mean, we, we've still got three great years of football left in Kenny Clark. And it's funny that you mentioned he hasn't really been elite since 2018, 2019 because, you know, I always just kind of felt like he was elite. And then when you started pointing that out on the podcast, you know, the last year and a half, I started looking into him I'm like, wow, he's right. Like he he's he's really underperformed according to PFF. And uh, now all of a sudden, bam, he flashes this year. So it's uh, – well, and, and, and I would just clarify that, I you know, because obviously guys like Coach Hahn or whatever watching, they're like, you're wrong. He's he's doing a great job. And I'm looking at it saying the numbers are the numbers. The pressures aren't there. But I, I think it just has to do with the role he's being given. I, I think Joe Barry's putting him in a role to be a dominant pass rusher. And, and guess what? He's doing it because he has that ability. But I think if, if your job is to hang back and be a two-gapper and do all that stuff, I think he did whatever his job was very well before. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't what we wanted it to be. And so, yeah, the, the numbers weren't there. I don't care what anybody says. I mean, you can see the pressures. You can see the sacks. They're very, very low. But I think whatever his job was before, he was doing it. But yeah. I think it was a waste of his talent because I think he is a premier pass-rushing interior guy and as much as, yeah, it's important to be able to, to hold off two guys and, and cover gaps and, and be a run defender, we need him to be a premier pass rusher. That's why you pay him all that money. So whatever decisions they made and changes they made to make sure that they could free him up was the right decision because we absolutely need this out of Kenny Clark. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's cool to see how it's pointed out, too, because like you said on, on a past pod, um, you know, under Petten, he was that great run defender, right? Yeah. And then. 
now we get into the Joe Barry system and, and all of a sudden it's it's more keen on uh, rushing the quarterback. And, I, again, I think it's because times are changing. You know, times yeah. are changing. Here's Papaw Bailey again. The times are changing. But, uh, yeah, you know, up next I wanted to talk about just kind of going through the PFF grades. Um, obviously, Jair Alexander, 75.7, coverage grade of 81.7. Been, you know, it, it, it's only going to get better from here on out, too. I think he's getting more and more comfortable, you know, kind of coming off of that missing all that time last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kingsley and Igbare, Anagbar, Igbare, however you want to say, I don't care. Um, 14, only 14 snaps, but Ryan, man, he's great down to 74.5. And the thing that stands yeah. out to me the most is the knock on him coming out of college, man, was he's a great edge rusher. He's taking advantage of that wide nine and, and the hash marks in college, but he can't play the run. And lo and behold, it's a 72.9 run defense grade that's kind of carrying his PFF grade overall. But what do you think about that, man? A very small sample size, but uh, showing a little bit of a little bit of promise there, right? Yeah, he's uh, he he's been very impressive. I, I again, I think it just comes down to um, you know a, a lack of experience. He doesn't exactly know his assignments and all those kinds of things, so they're kind of going to bring him along slowly. But like you said, the limited sample size that he's had, he's doing a good job. You know, if you look at him compared to the the rest of the draft class as far as rookies go, he's number two behind only Dominique Robertson, uh, Robinson for the Bears, who had an elite, you know, first year, but completely fell off in, in week two. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, the numbers aren't there, obviously, because of the opportunities. But you, again, look at edge rushers for the 2022 class. Kingsley's one of the top guys. So we just need to be able to, uh, you know, get him on the field a little bit more, get him to understand the system a little bit better. And hopefully those pressures will start to come along, along with the run defense. But considering what we have in Preston and and Rashawn, what an awesome compliment that is to be able to keep those guys out there for pass rush situations. And then you got a guy that maybe he doesn't know everything, but you tell him to go out there and set an edge and he can go out there and set an edge. That's all we need. Go do it, you know. So I'm excited yeah. about it. And, and another guy that it's okay to bring along slow. Same with Devontae Wyatt. I'd love for him to be a disruptive force right now, but – it's okay. We can bring you along slow. We got plenty of veterans. So, and yeah. I'm excited to see what, you know, what could that mean in week 15, 16, 17, when, when guys like Kingsley are getting more snaps, when guys like Wyatt are getting more snaps, not to mention guys like Quay are really starting to get into their full swing and their full understanding of things. So, um, you know, we, we, we tend to think things like this is the end all be all, you know, this is the most important game in the world, this Tampa Bay game coming up and everything else. But you know, regardless of what happens, it's still real early and, and the best football is yet to come. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, something that Aaron Rodgers talked about the other day was uh, we haven't even began to dig into this playbook yet. You know, there's so many things that they're setting up here in the first quarter of the season. And, you know, I think the same thing applies with from the defensive side of the ball. And who knows, man, you know, as we get into the second quarter, as we wrap up the first quarter of the season, get into the second quarter of the season, and these these coaches start throwing different looks because what a lot of people don't understand is do you have a, a section of your coaching staff in, in the NFL that are actually self-scouting as well? They're, they're looking at the, the Packers tape from inside the building and saying, okay, are we being too predictable here? What do we need to change up? What's the adjustment we need to make on the next two opponents? I think eventually you may see a package come into play where you might get Kingsley on the field with Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith at the same yeah. time. And that's exciting. Exactly. Um, I tell you this week here kind of worries me a little bit with Tampa because our run def- run defense has you know, struggled so much. Um, but the, and the fact that the, the bucks are so banged up at wide receiver, this is this is one of those weeks, Ryan, that I almost want to be like, let's get out of that too high shell just a little bit 
and really load the box and and take the underneath and intermediate routes away from Brady and force him to throw over the top a little bit. And if it don't work, adjust quick. But I just don't see him being able to have those deep balls, especially with Russ with uh um with Jair Alexander and Eric Stokes on the outside. I mean, you've basically got two starting caliber corners going up against two uh, backup caliber wide receivers on the outside. I think this is the week that you take that chance, put the pass rush right in Tom Brady's lap. Don't fool with the outside edge. They like to run between the tackles as well, at least against the the Saints. That's what I saw was Leonard Fournette running uh, in the interior there. Clog up those interior gaps and push that pocket back in Brady's face as we uh, as we go along in the game. But you mentioned Quay Walker, and I want to talk about him here a little bit too because you, you said with Devontae White, you know, it's okay to bring him along slow. And when these guys were drafted, you know, we joked about it on the on on our draft show and, and podcast immediately following that, you know, it's not like these guys are going to get starting time anyway. The Packers don't like to start rookies. They like to bring them along kind of slow and this and that, you know, for the most part. And then lo and behold, uh, Devontae White, you know, he's only seen a total of, uh, let's see, here, 16 total defensive snaps. But at the same time, you've got Quay Walker with 70 snaps. And, uh, you know, uh, overall defensive grade is 72.0 and a run defensive grade of 62.1. But that coverage grade of 73.8, you're really seeing that that athleticism. But again, on defense, he's the one, two, three, four, fifth highest graded player on the Packers defense. Um, Are you uh, are you buying all the hop on Quay Walker? Because to me, man. I'm telling you, he passes the eye test, and then when you really start digging into his assignment, he seems very, very, uh, uh, very sound in his assignments. Yeah. He just seems like he's the real deal. Yeah, I mean, you, you can notice some of the little things. Every, every time I go back and watch the Bears game, that that one time when he had a guy teed up and waited for him to come to him, and Equinemius just came along the side and blasted him, and which went for a big play, it gets under my skin so much. <laughs> and I get it because you don't expect some puny little wimpy wide receiver to come and smack you from the side, but I wanted him to just go and blow him up in the backfield, and he kind of just stood there. But, no, I mean, it, it's it's hard to to nitpick little things. I mean, you see, again, like the assignments, he's in the right spots. I, I You know, I, you watch Devin White overrun things, and so many guys making mistakes, and he doesn't seem to do that. Um, you know, the physicality, you know, when an offensive lineman gets up to you, you're not going to pick him up and throw him back. I mean, the best you can do is hold your ground and get off him, and he does that. The physicality with the tackling. I mean, there were a couple kind of whiffs, but they were always kind of coming at weird angles and everything else. But, um, you know, I mean, he's he's really, really a fast, intelligent, um, and very, very physical. I love his physicality, and and that's one of the things I don't like about the way the NFL is going. Granted, it's it's the right way, but they're getting away from the physicality and they're going more toward the the athleticism. They like the guys that are kind of. You know, like the Roquans, they, they they can't get off a block to save their life. But, man, they're pretty quick, and the Devin Whites and all that. But Quay's got the speed, but, man, he can lay the wood like nobody else, and I just love that. I love that we've got that component along with, you know, having at least enough enough athleticism. And if you look at week two, 87.3 coverage grade. Um, and just the jump from week one to week two. You know, again, if, if your rookie gets like a 60-some-odd grade to end the season, that's pretty good. That's pretty standard for a rookie. You know, I mean, I mean, standard is is subpar. You suck at football, but you know, to come along just with like a sixty some odd grade is is great. He's he's sixty five week one, seventy six week two. Um, again, his coverage grade went from a fifty nine to an eighty seven. Tackling from a sixty to a seventy seven. I mean, he, he's and we haven't even unloaded what we're able to do. We are bringing him along slowly. He's got very simple assignments so far. He's not rushing the passer right now. He's not doing any kind of exotic stuff. I think we put him on the edge maybe once or something, but. Um, 
I mean, we're, we're just scratching the surface and he's still, you know, he's, you can see the gears turning. They always talk about, you know, we don't want you reacting, not thinking out there. He's, he's still thinking a little bit, but I mean, it, it's still, even with a geared down version of, of what Quay can be, you still see it. You know, again, when those offensive linemen come up and he just stops them dead in their tracks and throws them off to be able to make a tackle, even if he loses a yard doing it, that it's, it's that kind of stuff that you look at and go, geez, you know, while Roquan gets driven back, you know, 30 yards on a touchdown, this dude is, is stonewalling offensive linemen. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see him at, at, at full throat and seeing him at his best and making some real big plays because he's very under the radar good player right now. Um, he hasn't had a lot of those big highlight plays, but I know they're coming and, and I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I mean, he stepped right in the league with his big boy pants on, and it's yeah. uh, it's exciting, dude. Um, to put that into perspective, gang, uh, his coverage grade is a 73.8. That's fourth highest on the entire Packer defense, okay, only behind Rasul Douglas, Jair Alexander, and Devondre Campbell. And according to this, uh, from a positional standpoint, graded out as strictly a linebacker, he's the 20th highest graded linebacker in the entire National Football League with Devondre Campbell at 21st right behind him. And uh, like I said, Devondre, 80.4. Everything, man, across the board, the grades are suggesting exactly what we just talked about a few minutes ago that Joe Barry is saying we're stopping the pass first and foremost. Let's let's make these teams stay disciplined and stay with the run, and then we'll adjust to that as we go. But, um, yeah, seeing Quay in that spy position as they rush Justin Fields with an outside contain, and there was one play, Ryan, where the uh, – I guess it's the wire cam, whatever it's called, where the camera's kind of hovering behind the line of scrimmage. And yeah. you could see Justin Fields kind of step up in the pocket and patty cake a little bit. And you all you seen was Quay Walker standing right there behind the nose. And he's just, I mean, just chopping his feet like, I dare you. I dare <laughs> you, boy. Come right up and come up here, please. It was awesome, man. And he just, it, like I told uh, on the pod the other day, I was sit, we were sitting there watching the game, me and Mandy. And I was like, look right here at these two inside linebackers. And I paused. I said, which one do you think's the rookie? And she was like, I can't tell. Because yeah. he looks like a grown man out there, dude. It's awesome. Absolutely awesome. But I mentioned Rasul Douglas. Let me check the time here real quick, make sure we're doing all right. Yeah, we're good. All right. Last one we'll talk about on defense, Rasul Douglas. Uh, obviously, a run def defense grade is abysmal, 28.1. Overall defensive grades is 67.9. But this is what I'm talking about with it seems like Joe Barry is really telling Rasul in that slot. And I think he's played it well. Um, hey, look. Your, your job primarily is to stop the pass, is to do everything you can to disrupt their passing game there from that intermediate level playing slot in a primary zone defense. I know there's man principles, things like that, but 83.2 coverage grade. Ryan, when they re-signed him to that deal, I said, that's a good deal for the production they got last year. That's a great deal from the Packers' standpoint, right? But is it just a flash in the pan? I believe you may have said the same thing. We were all yeah. questioning it, like, is this – is this going to be normal or not? And 83.2, man, out of two games so far, he seems like the real deal in coverage. What do you think of Rasul? Well, he's so far he's better than he was last year. You know, again, the run defense is lower, which I, I all, all I really care about is is the physicality and, and the willingness from a corner. I, I have questions about Jair. I have questions about Savage and their willingness to be violent. Stokes and Rasul, I don't care. I mean, okay, you're going to tell me he, he missed some tackles. I get it fine. But if they're going to, you know, get in there and get dirty and, and do their best to try and blow it up, that's all I really care about. Um, but, I mean, it's it's still relatively early. But my biggest concerns about the guys coming back, Devondre Campbell, 
You know, is he going to be able to keep that level of play up because he's never done it before? He is. Maybe not quite to the same level, but he is. Razul, not only has he never performed at that high of a level, but he switched positions to slot. So, and, and, it, and it didn't feel like they were doing it because that's his best position. It felt like we don't really have any other options because we got two boundary guys. We got to do something with Razul. But I'm starting to think maybe they looked at it and said, no, this dude will be a real good slot because he's playing better than he ever has. Um, yeah, 83.2. I, I think I put up a graphic on Twitter. Uh, the third and fourth highest graded coverage grades or whatever are Razul and Jair right now. So we got two of the top highest graded cover guys. Um, you know, it's it's early, but he's he's not been failing. I mean, last week, one target, one reception, negative four yards against Minnesota, who obviously had a lot of success. Three targets, three receptions, 11 yards. That's it. And this is without, you know, a lot of these grades, they'll balloon if you get the pass breakups, if you get the interceptions. He doesn't have any of those yet. This is just straight up man-to-man, you ain't doing jack squat against me, and he's doing it every play, you know? So, I mean, 39 reps, and he's given up seven yards. I mean, he's 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 doing everything, and and again, if you start adding interceptions or pass breakups into the mix, it's only going to get higher from here. Yeah, completely agree, man. And and that's a great point that I didn't even think about the fact that he he hasn't even had a pick yet. And what it tells you with the coverage grade that high is he is playing as fundamentally sound as you could possibly play, right. Um, right. which is very exciting. So let's do this, man. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to hit on the offensive side of the ball. This is good stuff, man. I I nerd out over numbers. I love, especially when you when you meld the two of you know uh, anything that that involves uh, a, nu- a numerical approach to breaking down how football operates, and then a grading system along with it. I'm a geek for it. But uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we get back, we're going to cover the offensive side of the ball. But uh, first, let's uh, let's take a second here and pay a couple bills. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
All right, so let's do this, Ryan. Let's jump into the offensive side of the ball. Um, I'll tell you, man, it's uh, it's starting to come together quite nicely. It really is. And uh, isn't it amazing how things change when you just run the ball a little bit? <laughs> but right off the top, uh, let's let's talk about Aaron Jones, man. He's definitely by far the, the team MVP so far in this young season, two games in. But Aaron Jones is uh, the second highest uh, graded halfback in the entire National Football League right now at 85.3 and you know typically he grades out high because he's such a big factor in the in the passing game and and in this case though his receiving grade is 70.6 it's solid nothing great right nothing extravagant his running grade 89.8 yeah. and whenever we did these breakdowns of chalk talk especially in the preseason then they're in week one it seems like every week we're we're having to choose an Aaron Jones play because the burst he has and the recklessness he runs within the pocket, it's its controlled chaos is what it is. Because I don't know, yes. man, being that size and having 300, 320-pound guys around you and you just having the wherewithal and the courage to go, I'm going full burst through this hole, especially in the outside scheme, and and I'm just going to hit that hole and, and nothing's nothing's going to slow me down, nothing's going to you know deter me. Like it's – I don't know, dude. He's on a different level right now. 85.3 offensive yeah. grade. Uh, what do you think of Aaron Jones right now? Man? Uh, I'm, I'm not even kidding. I got chills right now just thinking about some of those highlights that that and just hearing you talk about them. Um, it's it's weird because I'm 100% that guy that says you never pay a running back. I'm also that guy that, that's been <laughs> saying, um, you know, Aaron Jones is going to cost too much. We got to get rid of him next year. And we got a guy that's that's ready to take that mantle. And as I've been watching the last two weeks and I've done – I did a video on this also on the Substack um, of of the running game, and I came away with it saying, I don't know how, but we got to pay Aaron Jones because I've never, <laughs> I don't want to say I've never seen anything like it, but but I kind of haven't because even if you think about the great running backs, they're different than Aaron Jones. You know their ability to make people miss and all that stuff. I don't I don't even know how to explain it. It's almost like he can see the future. He <laughs> his his processor and his brain is so psychotic and it's always been that way. I mean, I I remember a few years ago looking rewatching plays of him swearing he's teleporting through that line because there'll be a hole there and it closes and I'm like, "Oh, it's gone." And he got through it. And I don't know how he got through it cuz I'm pretty sure it's gone by the time he got there, but there's there is a play and this is every play. I mean, he he will give you he will take what you give him and then get more. And if there's if you give him nothing, he'll still find a way to get yards out of it. I mean, that's incredible. But there is a play where, and he's already got probably 10 yards. And um, the structure of it is completely broken down at this point. He's kind of through it. He's kind of just ad-libbing. But there is a, a defender to his right, and he's running. And I don't know how he could see it, but he spins to the right where the defender is just as a blocker comes and hits the guy. And he's able to just spin around that. And I'm like, how? First of all, how did you even see the defender? How did you know to spin right at the defender because there's an alignment coming up? trying to make a play and hits the guy. I, I don't I don't know what you're doing. I got I don't know how he sees these things, how and his legs never stop kicking. It's almost like he doesn't even notice people are around him. People are grabbing at him. You know, I know 101, the coaching, they tell you just keep your legs kicking or whatever, but there's something about the way he runs. It's almost as if he just doesn't doesn't feel like anybody's even there. And he just powers through people and it's I I, I don't know how to explain what he does, but he was, he was perfect. AJ Dillon, there were a couple plays where I'm, I'm, I'm screaming at him because he's doing stuff wrong. But I mean, Aaron Jones is, is he goes exactly the right way at full speed every play. And I don't know how you do that. 
I don't have any idea. If the play breaks down, it's almost as if he's not flustered. You don't see him like pause and hesitate and sprint. He just starts running the other way like he knew all along it was going to break up. And I don't know. I don't know. He's he's you talk about Tom Brady and, and his, you know, wizardry and all that stuff. Aaron Jones has got something going on. He's <laughs> he, he can see the future, I think. And, and, and he's cheating out there. Now, listen, guys, we're not we're not suggesting that Aaron Jones is a witch as well, like Giselle Bunchin. All right. We're not saying no, that at all. It's something but, different. But it's similar. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you this, man, um, how he stays healthy, too. I mean, when you're running that hard and you're that small of a stature guy, Ryan, I reach for the remote on the couch and I pull a butt cheek, dude. It's like I don't <laughs> see how these guys do it. I really don't. But from a contractual standpoint, you know, you were talking about, you know, not too long ago, you were saying, you know, I don't we can't pay him. We can't pay him. When you talk about what he brings to the table um, in the passing game as well yeah. and the trust that's created and the the locker room presence, you know, him being a team leader, all those things. I kind of feel like the structure is in place right now. I've got his contract pulled up and what Ryan's uh, referring to, gang, is basically next year his cap hit goes to 20 million. To put that in the perspective, his cap hit this year is $5.9 million. So it's going to jump significantly, roughly $14 million next year. Now, the dead cap that's attached is only uh, $9.5 million. So you can tell that the Packers gave themselves an out. That's a potential out in 2023 where they can get $10 million back. But I don't see them doing it. Obviously, next year he's going to be 29 years old. And, and as you start to approach 30 years old, the talk always becomes, okay, when are they going to hit that wall? Aaron Jones is not showing that wall at all right now. Right. And again, he'll be 29 next year, obviously in 2024, the last year of his contract that makes him 30 years old. Now, I want to mention that in 2025 and 2026, there are two voidable years that are on uh, that deal as it sits right now. The cap hit for both of those are only seven hundred and seventy thousand dollars per. OK, so I kind of feel like they put the structure in place. They've got the potential out after this year, if for some reason Aaron Jones came out this year and he, complete, he completely flopped and they decide they wanted to go to A.J. Dillon, they had it in place to where they could cut ties and get ten mil, roughly $10 million back in cap room. But if he does succeed and, and has a great year and shows that, hey, he's not slowing down and we can play this out to the age of 30, then you've got those two voidable years on the backside that's this structure that's already in place for a contract renegotiation, for a restructure. And I know we don't – you and I are on the same mindset when it comes to financials, both personal and um, you know, and in football, in sports in general. We want to pay everything up front, pay cash for everything, no debt on the backside. But in this situation here, it seems like the writing is on the wall that they may utilize those two voidable years to extend some of that money out. And I don't ever like to try to put words into people's mouth, especially or spend other people's money. There's enough of that going on on Twitter right now. It's amazing <laughs> how people are quick to spend each, spend other people's money. But with Aaron Jones, I could see him being one of those players that's like, look, yeah, I'll adjust it. I want to stay right here. He just seems like that type of guy. And so maybe there there can be kind of something met in the middle. Rather than $20 million next year, maybe they renegotiate, push some of that money to the voidable years to where they meet in the middle and reduce that cap hit to a $10 million cap hit where he's you know maybe forfeiting 3 to $4 million and the Packers are willing to give that up on the voidable side too. And I don't want to get too far into the weeds when we talk about voids and, and this isn't a contract negotiating podcast, but it's definitely something worth looking into because right now, 
anyone who looks at his contract at $5 million, it's amazing. There's a guy on Twitter, and I won't say any names, said the other day, there's no way they picked that up next year. There's no way that Aaron Jones is on the, on the, the roster and this and that. And for me, it's like, okay, so we're just completely ignoring the fact that he's absolutely 100% overachieving at $5 million cap hit this year. Isn't it funny how that works? <laughs> like, yeah. He's underpaid this year, but the second that he's overpaid, get him out of here, we don't need him. I, I just don't think that the Packers operate that way. You've seen it with Devontae. They were willing to break the bank to keep him on the roster. Unfortunately, he chose to go otherwise, other places. But when it comes to Devontae, too, man, looking back, could you imagine if he had accepted that deal, Ryan? Oh man. Yeah, we we'd be in we'd be in a lot of hurt. And 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 to be honest, you know, as as much as we look at it and say, hey, our offense would be in a much better spot with him, who's not here right now? We just talked about Razul Douglas and what an impact he's making. I don't know if he's here right now. We talk about Devondre even... Campbell and his ability to bring along Quay and and all that stuff. I mean, Quay might be out there by himself with Chris Barnes, who oh, oh oops, he's not on the field right now. You know, it's we're we're looking at Quay and McDuffie on the field. You know, I mean at, the the butterfly effect of all these things really really starts to take effect and 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 it's probably going to hurt us in a lot of other ways not to mention completely probably cash strapped not even this year but looking at next year and how many years beyond and who's getting cut next year and um I'm I understand it hurts but I'm okay with that decision yeah absolutely I you know I nobody wanted Tay on the roster more than I did yeah. but at looking back, man, hindsight, how many times has this happened in life, too, where, where something doesn't go your way and you're upset about it? And then you look back, you know, six months, a year from then and go, thank God that didn't happen. <laughs> you know, it happens all the time. So, yeah, and, and real quick on the on the Aaron Jones thing, you know, because people will talk about, well, he's not going to take a pay cut. Well, let's a couple things. First of all, number one, the fact that he's scheduled to make 20 million and then 16 million. That's not how much money he's going to make. This is we're talking cap hit. Beyond that, the only money he's scheduled to make is, is, is are the guarantees, right? It, it, he has a certain amount left on his contract that he's actually going to make. So you're 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 talking about adding guarantees. You're talking about extending, you know, it, through year 32, which is what everybody wants. I, I want to be guaranteed a place on the team, making money through this year old, and that's it. Now, granted, he could probably leave and make more overall if he goes somewhere else, but there is a situation where. We can spread out the cap hit, as you said. I mean, it's, it's not a great situation. It's going to hurt a lot, but you know, we can probably spread out the cap hit, but then provide Aaron Jones with what I'm sure he wants, which is to retire a Green Bay Packer, to pay him to stay through age, you know, 32. You, you as you said, utilizing those void years. I don't know what that structure looks like, but the the point is there is value to that. There is mm -hmm. value to to um, saying you earned it, you did it. You, you made it to the finish line. We are going to pay you. We are going to provide you those guarantees and pay you handsomely through age 32 or whatever, at which point you can continue to be a rotational guy or you can just go off into the sunset and retire and, and we'll, we'll hang your jersey somewhere. Um, so at, it's still unlikely to me, but I, I do think it's possible. And I, I just want to dispel the narrative that it's as though we're just taking $20 million from him, paying him you know, $10 million and that's it. That's not how that works. He's not getting that much money today. Um, exactly. Oh. Yeah. So, and, and to put that in perspective and try not to get too detailed here, 
you've got four years left on his deal essentially after this year. You've got two years left on a deal and then two voidable years, okay? And and so essentially he's only on the roster for two years and you're only on the hook for $1.4 million over two years the, the next two years, okay? So next year his cap hit is $20 million and the dead cap attaches 95 uh, or $9.5 million, meaning if the Packers just cut him out right, they free up $9.5 million and he's going to make uh, $11 million next year. And what what Ryan is suggesting, or or at least explaining, not suggesting, like I said, we both agree on this, but you got to kind of look at it from every angle. If they decide, okay, you know what, why don't we take some of the salary, convert it to signing bonus? That way, it's fully guaranteed for you. So now you go from ten million guaranteed to fifteen million guaranteed, but we extend that out over the next four years. That's why you always hear reporters reporting contracts differently. You know, Ian Rappaport. What people don't understand about Ian Rappaport. Ian Rappaport works for the National Football League. Okay. He he works for the NFL. He is the mouthpiece for the owners. And when he reports stuff, people make it sound as if he's out to get the NFL. He he is on the payroll for the National Football League. So when he reports things, it's it's more or less what the owners and what management is telling him to say. And then he's got a great working relationship with all the sports agencies. So when a contract gets negotiated nine times out of ten. The numbers he reports is coming from the agent. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because the owners didn't tell him to go report that. Why would they drive up the cost of their employees? Right. So it's that that number is coming from the agents and any of the side reporting is coming from the owners. Just understand how the game is played. So, uh, again, his entire job is quid pro quo. Exactly. he, he gets the information because when, when an owner calls you or when an agent calls you and says, I want you to report this in this way, he's going to do it, right? I'm going to provide you information, but here's how I want you to say it. And so, I mean, and then that's, that's again, that's how you get information is you play the, the role of a mouthpiece. And he does it for owners. He does it for GMs. He does it for agents. He does it for everybody. Everyone. Because that's, that's you got to play ball if you, if you want to be in that spot. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that is his job description, hands down. And, you know, it's like when the Aaron Rodgers contract comes out, anyone who tells you that they understand the Aaron Rodgers contract are lying. (laughs) Nobody knows what that contract is exactly in the fine print other than Aaron, Russ Ball and Aaron's agent, period. That's the David Dunn is the only one. Now, I listened to a podcast not too long ago that was uh, Andrew Brandt and Russell Wilson's agent, which Russell Wilson's agent is primarily a baseball agent. It just mm-hmm. so happens he, he this is the only football contract he's worked was for Russell Wilson because that, you know, like I said, he's Russell Wilson's personal agent. So when when they were talking on that podcast, both of them said, mainly, mainly uh, 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 Russell Wilson's agent said, I honestly think that, this is a one-year contract with two dummy years. And Andrew Brandt said, yeah, I agree. I think it's a one, no more than a two-year contract. And and now, okay, you hit pause there and go, okay, they don't know all the details, only the agent and Aaron. I appreciate the fact that they said that, (laughs) right? right? And then Aaron, when he came out and talked about the contract, what did he say? It's a one plus a two with the option of a three. Yeah. So and and you see Twitter blowing up at times and these guys are going, man, the Packers are going to be screwed. They're going to be set back for a decade after Aaron walks away. And I always say I'm just sitting back in the weeds and I'm going to laugh my butt off when he does walk away and we go, oh, that wasn't that bad. 
That's because, right. That, that's what's going to happen. And and this is no different. You know how we always say you can't judge a player until after year three. I mean, it, it, and even beyond that, you can't judge a player's career until the career is over. That's exactly what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers' contract. We won't know what it was uh, <laughs> overall on a yearly basis guarantees we won't know any single thing about this contract until he walks away and the math is is finally the 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 debt comes due and everything's paid then we'll be able to analyze it and say this is how much we paid him this is how much it cost us yeah until we find out when he's walking away we don't know what it is so people can go around doing victory laps saying yeah we we solved it we know what it is no you don't <laughs> you don't know what it is rogers Nobody knows what it is. I mean, Rodgers is probably the only guy that 100% knows, and I get the impression he – he. I, I we're getting way into the weeds here, but just the way he answers some questions, I, I kind of feel like he's 100% walking away after this year. That's just kind of where I'm at with it. I know people are saying no way because Brady's doing – I don't think he cares. I think he's in a place right now where he's 100% happy with everything. He's good. I mean, even when when people ask him, like, oh, could you see yourself playing to 45? He said, no. I, yeah. I, I, I know for a fact. How do you know? I mean, if you maybe are coming back next year and we play this maybe game for the next 10 years, he knows because he knows what he's going to do in the future. He, you know, I mean, at, at the very least, we know that he knows he's not playing more than, what, two years? Right. I mean, people are saying three, but it sounds to me like what all the agents and everybody else are saying, what even Aaron Rodgers is saying, it's a maximum of one more year he's coming back. But I, I kind of get the impression it's like 90% he's gone this year unless he really gets an itch, but then it's one more year and you're out of here and that's it. So... That's yeah. that's kind of where I'm at with this whole thing. The whole three year fifty million is that's never going to happen. Exactly, and that's when it when it originally got reported. I got a little bit aggravated, a little bit heated. And, <laughs> and everyone everyone said this is what's funny. They 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 pick and choose what they want to talk about in the report. And and again, remember what we just said about Ian Rappaport. Ian Rappaport came out initially and said this is a three year. $150 million year at $50 million per, making him the highest paid player, highest paid player. And you said, right. okay, well, where did that information come from? Let's, let's rewind. It came from the agent. Why would the agent want that information out there? Because it raises the bar for future right. quarterbacks that the goal is $50 million per year. Yeah, well, agents always want to make it look like they did the best for their guy. It's, it's, it's PR for them, first of all, right? If you're the guy that just got somebody $50 million per year, I want you to be my agent. On top of that, if you raise the bar for everybody else, you got other people there. You guys raise the bar for everybody else so that the next contract of the guy that you have, he's got other uh, quarterbacks on his roster. They're all going to make more money, which means he's going to make more money. So all the agents are trying to pump up the numbers so that they pump up the next contract because when the contracts go higher, the agents make more money, so it just goes round and round and round. But yeah, I mean, it, it's obvious why agents want that. And on top of that, you want—you've been selling this to the player, right? And you're pumping up your guy too, saying, "Hey, I'm going to get you 50 million." So of course, that's what you want it reported as. You don't want all this this nuance making it seem like I didn't do as good of a job, you know? Yeah. So I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it's the whole thing is is kind of silly. And and again, I, I I've stepped away from the whole Aaron Rodgers contract thing because even trying to understand how you get to three years, 50 million is so confusing to me that I'm like, I, I just, I'm going to wait until he's gone and then I'm going to let somebody else run the numbers and give me the final tally. But yep. until then, I, I kind of just don't care. Right. And it gets so, it gets so uh, heated, which it shouldn't yeah, happen. Right. But when, when I get aggravated is when I see these, these people who think they're experts bashing Packer fans 
because well, you you little people don't understand. I do this. I do this all the time. You don't understand. And it's like, you don't have a freaking clue what you're talking about either. Well, and and again, it's, it's not that you don't, you know, again, not, not naming names, but numbers are numbers, right? Numbers, people know what numbers are and they, they get all that stuff, but there are contingencies and there are things that can change the old, right? There's, there's the big picture view. And yeah, maybe the best big picture view is three years, 50 million. Maybe that's the best summary right now. What is the summary if he leaves after this year? What is the summary if he gets hurt halfway through the season? What is the summary if he leaves after two years? The summary changes. Mm-hmm. All that stuff changes and, and how things change. And, you know, it's like you said, I mean, how many times have we seen it where somebody's 100% sure that this is how it is and then they kind of change things and it's, well, technically, okay, it's not as I said it was going to be, but but now they put themselves in trouble because now they did this. Okay, well, yeah. that's your current summary but again, things are going to change. So things are constantly changing and evolving. And so it's nice that you can provide us a snapshot and say, here's where things are right now. We'll have to reassess and see how they, you know, kind of, we'll see how they get themselves out of this rather than saying, here's what they did. Here's what's going to happen. And they're screwed now because it just, it doesn't ever go that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, with Ian Rappaport, when he reported it, another thing that did not get talked about, and we'll move on here, but one of the things that didn't get talked about was how he said they have the ability to extend some of this cap hit out through the structure that Russ Ball created. And he ended that that comment literally with very, very creative way of approaching this contract, but both Aaron Rodgers' agent and Russ Ball. Meaning, yeah. do you think he would have said that if the Packers were completely screwed when Aaron walked away? And again, right. you just said it feels like this might be his last year, possibly two years, probably mm-hmm. not three. Well, what right. did Aaron say? Once again, it's a one right. <laughs> plus a two with the option of a three. A yeah. one, you've definitely got. A two, yeah. possible. A three, probably not. That's basically yeah. what he said. So that's good stuff, man. I'm glad we hit on that because, you know, I don't know, it's important to – to kind of give every angle on it, and and sometimes the loudest people are the only ones heard. And and this isn't to try to prove somebody wrong. This isn't to try to start another argument. God knows there's enough of those on Twitter. It's just to let Packer fans know this isn't the end of the world. Every Not everything's gloom and doom. And when someone reports on stuff like this, just scroll down to their last five posts and ask yourself, is that a positive Packers post or a negative Packers post? You'll probably come away going negative, 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 negative. Yeah, maybe I need to move on to a different account. So yeah, and one, one last summary on the on the contract thing. There is a there is a world in which Rogers leaves after three years and they do nothing to to rectify the situation, and it ends up exactly as people predict. But considering that prediction involves the Packers being screwed, what are the odds that that's exactly what happens? That he leaves it in exactly three years and the Packers do exactly nothing to alter or change anything in the contract. And then they just allow themselves to be screwed and go, well, this is what we plan for. We plan to be screwed and to cut everybody and to go to zero. Yeah. I would assume it's sub 50%. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Good stuff, dude. Um, that kind of leads me into the next thing I wanted to talk about. We were going to cover a few more offensive PFF grades, mm-hmm. but uh, you know we're about to wrap up, and I want to just read a little bit of an article here that was written. It was some time ago, and something else that doesn't come into play when you hear these doom and gloomers talk about contracts and how the Packers are screwed. Um, you know, David Bakhtiari, right, with his current contract, Ryan, 
and uh, how it sits if I can get it to pull up here. Here we go. Um, you know, currently this year, he's he's got two more years left on his deal. There's no voidable year. So he's under contract through 2024. So you've got this year's contract. You've got 2023 and 2024. Um, the cap hit this year is $13.4 million. Next year, it jumps to $29 million. And then 2024, it jumps to $32 million. Now, it's important to mention that after this year, the Packers could cut David Bakhtiari and they'll get back roughly $6 million, okay? There's there's a ton of dead cap involved there. But mm-hmm. again, you come out $6 million ahead if for some reason he can't play next year, he decides to retire or whatever. Now, there's also going to be some compensation and money coming back if he does retire. We don't know all the details of that. Again, this that all lies in the weeds with the contracts themselves, but – Here's an article from back when you guys remember when Peyton Manning was uh, was signed to the Denver Broncos, right? And mm-hmm. uh, there were there's a thing such as insurance policies that come with some of the contracts with both players as well. I'm going to try not to bore you with reading too much, but I want to hit on this. Said the Broncos recently tweaked quarterback Peyton Manning's contract in May because the team had purchased insurance to cover the team in the event he suffered an injury unrelated to his surgically repaired neck. The original deal already included some language to cover the team if Manning suffered an additional injury in which his neck had already been repaired. The Broncos added this added the policy after Manning passed a postseason exam on his neck, and that exam kicked in a significant salary guarantee for Manning, $20 million for the 20, 2013 season and $20 million for the 2014. Uh, the insurance, uh, insurance policy covers the 2014 season, and is for $10 million worth of insurance to cover the team if Manning did not play in 2014 because of a neck injury he suffered at some point in the 2013 season. When the Broncos signed Manning in 2012, his $20 million salary in both 2013 and 14 were guaranteed, but 2014 could be voided if Manning injured his neck in 2013. The insurance policy uh, now covers any neck non-neck injuries would prevent him from playing in 2014 because his contract would still be in place in this scenario. So in summary, teams have the option to do this with any player. This is what the article says, but they must submit both the policy and any revisions made to the player's contract because of the policy to the league for approval. When it is approved, the league technically calls it, quote, renegotiated deal, despite the fact there's actually uh, actual compensation may not have changed. Sometimes minor changes are made to the salary cap figures in the deal. If the policy is invoked, the payment is considered, quote, a refund from the player and does not count against the salary cap. Now, I mention that because when it comes to David Bakhtiari and his contract and everything, right, with the David Bakhtiari contract, we don't know if there was insurance policies actually purchased. So we don't know the exact situation with that. So everybody who's doom and gloom on David Bakhtiari, we don't know the exact situation. Now, uh, the the lazy way to kind of cover it is, okay, if they cut ties with him next year, uh, they're going to begin to save money because of the dead cap being lower than the cap hit itself. And again, nobody expected David Bakhtiari to be uh, 33 years old and making $32.9 million against the cap in 2024. So um, that's kind of how I see that, Ryan. What do you think about Bach? First of all, it's a touchy subject. You know, some people get mad when you even mention that he might be done. Others get mad when you mention that he hasn't played in the last two years. But uh, what do you think about Bach, man? Do you think think we see a significant amount of him this year? Or are you feeling more and more comfortable about it with how the injuries have kind of played out? I mean, I'm I'm, – 
maybe I'm just being silly, but I'm I'm feeling optimistic about this week, <laughs> which is I I know it's dumb because it's the same thing every week. He practices, he looks good. Everybody says he's doing great, and then he doesn't play. Um, but no, I'm I'm just I'm still thinking he's going to come. I mean, the team thinks he's coming back. There's no reason they wouldn't have put him on IR at this point if they didn't think he'd make it back. Um, there is going to be a point I would assume that um, if it just doesn't seem to get better, they're going to put him on IR. And and honestly, that's my biggest question right now, and I have not looked into it, but. If you, if you really want to know about the salary cap, the biggest thing we probably need to look at is what are the implications of putting them on IR? I know sometimes in contracts you've got guarantees where a player will say, hey, I, 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 I'm not signing this unless you guarantee X amount of my salary through injury. I don't know what that, that uh, looks like in his contract, but that's the other thing to, to take in mind because a lot of times, and maybe that is the case if it's 100% guaranteed through injury, which I would doubt, but... You know, again, we assume that if if he's hurt, we're screwed out of this money. No, I mean, if he's on IR, we're not going to have to pay some of that, and we're going to get some of that that money back. Um, and and that's true for for even next year as well. You know, it's, well, we could cut him. We could, or we could just hang on to him and see if he plays. And if he doesn't, you put him on IR again and recoup some of that money rather than taking as big of a hit. You know, yeah. if if you cut him outright, I'm guessing you're going to lose more money than if you just stash him on IR. Um, I don't know that, but but that's something to consider and, and as far as David Bakhtiari retiring again I would doubt it if he can sit and, and collect a paycheck why why walk away um, so I mean that that may be the situation again depending on the language in the contract where we're sitting here going why isn't he playing and he just sits on the bench for a long time again I'm still hoping he comes back and he's fine and he plays for a very long time but you know that that would be the way that it works I think for a while if there are uh, is a decent amount of money that we can recoup from him being on IR. It means for a couple of years, he's going to sit on IR, then we're going to cut him, and then he's going to go off and retire. That would be the way that I would assume it goes. But but I'm, I'm really not even going there yet. I know it's a bad situation, and, and I'm I, honestly, the biggest concern isn't that he's not coming back. It's that he is going to come back, and he's going to get re-injured. Um, yeah. that's, I, I, I really believe he's going to play sometime soon. The, the question isn't, is he going to play? The, the real question is, how is his knee going to hold up? not just through one week, but maybe two or three before the fluid starts coming in and they realize this is this is a serious situation. So, And again, there are so many contract things. I don't know what happens if, if there's an injury thing. I mean, do, do, is there a clause that says you physically can't play anymore? So yeah. we are going to release you with an injury settlement or whatever the case may be. I know in some cases, like we were talking about earlier, it's like 117th of your contract. I'm sure that would be, but there's got to be doctors and lawyers and everybody else involved. So it's it's so far over my head. If, if anybody wants to explain that in its entirety based on Bakhtiari's specific contract, I would love to hear it. But um, for me right now, and you know, I, I'm, I'm just waiting for him to play this Sunday. That's all I know is he's playing until I find out he's not. But yeah, maybe a couple more weeks we'll find a cap expert to come on and explain the language in his contract and how all that works out. Yeah, so let me translate all that for you listeners out there. It's above our pay grade. That's what Ryan just said. Right. It's, it's way above our pay grade. So, right. And again, I'm not suggesting that they did purchase an insurance policy. I'm just saying those are the things that happen behind the scenes, right? Yeah. And you don't hear about them until after Peyton Manning retires. You don't hear about them until after the fact. Because, again, who's going to report it? The owners aren't going to go to the press and talk about it. David Bakhtiari isn't going to the press and talking about it. And Ian Rappaport is not going to report on those fine details because, again, he's working for the owners. He's working for the league in conjunction with the agents and the players as well. 
Um, the only time that information does leak out, you see when he reports certain things, it's because someone's about to get a scoop on him. And then he gets confirmation from the people involved that, yeah, okay, go ahead and talk about it since it's coming out anyway. There's just a, a cat and mouse game there is it's very, very intriguing to me. So and, and uh, very similar to the Aaron Rodgers thing. Again, we just take too much of a big picture view. You know, they, these over the cap and spot track websites are, are great, but also terrible because anybody can log in and look at it. And they look at just the big numbers and say, well, it's going to be, a, you know, we're going to have a $30 million guy just sitting on the bench, or we're going to cut him and take a $23 million dead cap hit. This was a disaster. Those <laughs> things aren't going to happen. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but that's not exactly how that's going to play out. If he's injured and he's going to sit on the bench, we're not paying that. So again, I don't know what it is. I'm just telling you, if you're going to log into over the cap and just look at the numbers and say, we're screwed out of 30 million this year, 33 million next year, that's not how that's going to play out. Exactly. It's it, it's basically a not even a blueprint. It's just a generalization right. of every team's situation. When you go to Spotrack, that's what it is. It's just kind of, hey, look, here is the structure. Here's the skeletal look at the contracts, more or less. And um, my advice is don't get caught up in arguing with people over it. This is my advice to anybody who's hearing my voice right now because nobody knows. Just say, stop pretending like you know and move on to the next conversation. That's how I basically have to handle it. But as we get ready to wrap up here, you know, obviously we got Tampa tomorrow. Um, I'm pull, I pulled up the injury report here real quick, and I'm just going to kind of rattle a couple of things off here. Uh, Bakhtiari, questionable. Um, however, he was limited all week. So he, he did not participate on Wednesday, limited Thursday, limited Friday. Um, I think there's a chance he goes. I'm with you. Like, listen, if you're going to rush him back again and this is something that's going to continue to happen, um, maybe just sit him. I have a lot of faith in Yash. I really do. Um, uh, Kenny Clark, obviously limited, but he's he's good to go. Uh, Randall Cobb is questionable. Um, I'm just going to go through with the questionables and the outs. Mercedes Lewis, questionable. Uh, Sammy Watkins, out for the game. That one kind of caught me off guard a little bit, Ryan, but um, Christian Watson being questionable as well. I think we're okay there because the game plan does kind of suggest, in my opinion, we need to run the ball. Now, on uh, Tampa Bay's side, um, you know, you've got a questionable Leonard Fournette. I think he'll play. Russell Gage, questionable. I think he'll play. Chris Goblin is now officially out. Akeem Hicks is out. You got Julio Jones, who's questionable. I'd be surprised if he plays, just given that if he does play, he'll, he'll last a, you know, three minutes into the first quarter, then he'll be gone, <laughs> probably. Um, Cade Otten is doubtful. That's their, their tight end. Rashard Perriman, questionable. And then Donovan Smith tackle um, is doubtful. I think that's one that's sneaky important. But given those injuries and what you've talked about here lately, as we get ready to wrap this show up, what do you think about this Tampa Bay Green Bay game? You know, specifically injuries, and then what's what's your prediction for the game? Uh, you don't have to put an exact score out there, but just kind of yeah. how are you feeling about this? Well, my my head and my heart are split on it. Um, my head says the Packers have the right team to win. Um, they have a, I, I think at least in this situation, a better roster. I mean, they're very similar, right? Elite secondary, struggling wide receivers. Rodgers and I, I talked about it. Rodgers and Brady are very similar in terms of where they're at right now. They're good quarterbacks, but kind of struggling with the offensive line questions and wide receiver questions. So the glaring difference between the team is the Bucks' um, sort of inability to run the ball well, and the Packers being elite. Like Leonard Fournette. There's a lot of hype about Leonard Fournette. He is not a weapon in terms of receiving. He's you know he's got a lot of yards on the ground because they pound him into the dust, but. Um, <laughs> 
his yards per carry is nowhere near as good. I mean, you know, PFF ranked 50 out of 60. So both teams are really going to need to be able to establish the run. And I think the Packers are going to do a better job. And I, I know that the biggest concern is, well, the Packers run defense sucks and the Bucks run defense is elite. Okay, kind of, but the Bucks run defense is not elite right now. Right. The, the question about the Packers defense is is legitimate and whether or not they do what you say and maybe bring an extra man in the box and I don't really know but there, there's also the question of just natural growth right a lot of the issues last week were because they couldn't tackle so I, I don't think that carries the entire year um so again my, my head says they've got the ability I, I think they might even have better wide receivers in this game believe it or not um with all the the injuries and suspensions and everything so my heart, though, just says, you know, you know how this goes. I mean, if you look at what I said last week about Bears-Packers, a lot of it was just look at the history. Look at look at how this typically goes. Packers-Bears, Sunday night, all this stuff. You know, it's a road game down in Tampa. Um, Tom Brady and, and these guys, and as much as I can talk about them struggling, and even when you were talking about bringing an extra guy in the box and force him to throw – I'm so torn on that because it's like, I just don't want to. And this is what teams struggle with, with, with Aaron Rodgers. You know, it's, it's, you got to stop the run, but are we really going to sit here and dare Aaron Rodgers struggling or not? No wide receivers or not. I don't know if I want to play that game with Tom Brady. You know what I mean? He, he starts getting into a rhythm. He starts getting fired up. He starts picking apart those open zones. And suddenly we're, we're kind of in, in a bit of a, in, in a bit of a bind. And part of me just says, Hey, we let the bears run all over us and they scored what? 10 points. Let them run and kick field goals. You know, um, but at the same time, they start to wear out your defense. So I don't, I don't know. I'm glad that's not my job to figure it out. But again, my my head and heart are split on it. I, I, I there's a part of me that's just panicked that this is going to be a disaster. But I'm trying to stick with, you know, the the analysis of the team and say this is not the 2020 Packers and this is not the 2020 uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like I went over with the podcast. If you look at the Packers defense, the year that they gave up 38 to Tampa, two weeks prior to that they're giving up 30. Two weeks prior to that they're giving up 30. The defense was really struggling. This defense is not, even with the struggles they're having, they're not giving up any points. Um, and again, this is not the 2020 uh, Bucks who had the number one offense and an and elite run defense. They don't have any of that right now. So yeah. it's just, it's two very different teams that are very, very similar that really just need to play some high quality football. And, and I think the team that makes the least amount of mistakes is going to win the game. Yeah, for sure. And <clears throat> like Ryan pointed out, you know, their, their run defensive grade as a team um, from PFF standards, 56.4. This this yeah. isn't the Bucks. at least at this point. They may turn it around and it become that. But right now, it, it definitely isn't. And it's funny that you said that. And we're going to wrap this big bear up. When you said that about Tom Brady, I don't know if I want to play that game. As I was writing that on my game, <laughs> and I was going, God, this, this doesn't sound right. But right. everything I'm seeing from watching the last two games of the Bucks, I watched every snap twice. And then looking at the PFF grades and it kind of drawing that parallel. And then these receivers being out. If Chris Goblin was healthy, totally different approach. You know, if uh, not so much concerned about Julio Jones, but Chris, if Chris Goblin and Mike Evans were both healthy I, or, you know, playing in the game, totally different game plan. But the fact that they're not in there, it's like, what if we, what if we did say, you know what, you're not going to have those seven to 12 yard uh, pass routes. We're, we're going to take that away from you, and we're going to force you to throw over the top. And I'm not talking about leaving somebody butt naked over the top. I'm talking about, you know, let's really play to the strength of underneath and trying to stop this run. Um, 
Yeah, but it's funny as you were saying that I was going, man. He it, his feeling towards my game plan was exactly the emotions <laughs> I was feeling writing it on paper. <laughs> so, but I but I get it because you know if you, if are you going to play scared or are you going to play like your you know big boy defense and and you know we've we've seen it that the number one pass rush team right now is the Green Bay Packers. Maybe the number one secondary is the Green Bay Packers. Maybe you do. Maybe you man up and say, you know what? If you want to drop back and deal with this pass rush, if you want to risk getting smoked by Kenny and Rashawn and Preston and and try to stand in the pocket and make the throws down the field, um, you know, allow your defense to make those plays because, you know, yeah, he'll probably be surgical with a couple passes, but you know he's going to get hit a couple times. We're going to have him on his back, and, and you're also putting yourself in a real good pos- uh, position to get those interceptions. If yeah. you force him to throw and he starts trying to fling those things around and we got guys that are out there ready to catch his his Hail Marys because he's throwing, falling away because guys are in his face 64% of the time, which is their current rate. Um, that 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 also makes sense to me. It, it scares me, but it makes sense to me. Play to your strengths. You got the coverage guys. You got the pass rush. Force them to throw. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff, man. Dude, I cannot thank you enough for hanging out. And we had a, a couple of technical difficulties here, but it looked like we we worked through it. We'll try to edit that out as much so it's not going to get on the listeners' nerves there. And we appreciate everybody hanging out. I do want to say this as we wrap up. Thoughts and prayers go out to our buddy Goose, who's up there in uh, Canada dealing with a, a Cat 3, Cat 5, or a Cat 4 hurricane. Um, sounds like everybody's safe, just got a little bit of damage, but definitely taking a second to uh, to let him know that we're thinking about him. If there's anything we can do, as always, just, just to let us know. So, um, yeah, with that, we're going to get out of here. Again, the kickoff tomorrow is 325 Central, 425 Eastern. We'll do a post-game show immediately following. I know Ryan will have a lot of content coming out after that game as well, so very excited about that. Ryan, as always, dude, thank you so much for your time. And uh, everybody listening out there, let's go out and be the change that we want to see in the world. Go Pack Go. Cowboys out in front. Star begins to